we, we are about the uh, ministry of family preservation through biblical hospitality. We believe in this as a church, and this is one of the core things that we want to fight for in a world that is tremendously broken, uh, in a world where families are broken, and where so just a tremendous number of children do not grow up with the love and the support and the training uh, that, that God has designed us to need in the context of a nuclear family. Safe families, engaging in the ministry of safe families, it is not convenient, self-righteous social media activism. It is not that. It is difficult, tremendously difficult, and we just believe it, it gets right at the heart of what God desires for the world and for the, the work that he desires for the church to engage in. I want to just ask each and every one of us, whether you're here tonight or you're watching this video later on, would you just pray about and ask the Lord to lead you on, on whether this could be a time for you and for your family to engage in the ministry of safe families. We've had a tremendous response in this church, host families, all kinds of help. I mean, so much work has been done. Uh, praise God through members of this church uh, in, in our city. I mean, just tremendous work that I believe is so pleasing to the Lord. But it's, it's difficult. It's difficult work. And um, we've, we've had some kind of attrition of host families over the last few years for just all, all kinds of reasons, really all good reasons. Uh, people moving on, people being sent out, people, uh, God calling people to engage in, in ministry in other ways. And so we really need host families. Uh, you can host even as a single person. You know, if your life is set up properly for it, you can host even as a single person. Um, you don't have to have kids. Uh, you don't have to be ready for like a six to nine month commitment. You can host just for a few days. You can set the parameters of whatever's gonna work for you in your life and, and ministry. But I just, I wanna ask you to, to pray about and consider engaging in the ministry of safe families. Uh, if you want to take that step and you feel like God is leading you towards that step, there is a training on August, um, August 29th. Uh, whatever that Saturday is, I'm sorry. It's like an all-day training, August 29th, the 31st, uh, I believe August 29th. And you can sign, you can sign up for that. You can, uh, you can go to the Facebook page for Safe Families of Central Ohio, um, or you can go to the link from our website, awakencolumbus.com slash training awakencolumbus.com slash training We'll email that link out also this week. Uh, if you're wondering whether or not your involvement in Safe Families necessitates attending this, this all-day training, go ahead and reach out to Erin Krause. And again, we'll include her contact information and some church-wide communication this week as well. But even as we talk here, and we're gonna pray in just a moment, if the Lord is nudging you, I just wanna really encourage you, take a step. Don't, don't be lazy about the things that God has put on your heart. Take a real step. Uh, talk to Erin. Uh, if you forget the information I'm giving you or you're not on our emails about how to sign up and all that, just take some initiative, reach out to someone. You can ask me or, or anyone else how to, how to take a step to really engage in a real and meaningful way with this ministry that fights to keep families together and to see children raised in the context of a loving nuclear family and does it in a gospel context, bringing the gospel through word and deed uh, into, into just very, very difficult situations where people are asking, they're asking for help they're needing help. So would you take a minute with me? 
uh, just actually on your own, I just want to take a, a minute and pray for the ministry of Safe Families. Let's pray that God would raise up workers uh, to, to this ministry and this calling within our church and, and, and churches all around our city as well. Um, and we're going to be highlighting this over the next few weeks as well. So go ahead and just take a minute on your own and uh, let, let's pray that God would raise up workers from our midst that would engage in the ministry of Safe Families. Uh, and then I'll, I'll bring you back in in a minute here. You are the father of compassion and righteousness, goodness. Lord, they flow from your very nature. God, and I thank you that you have called us and and allowed us to partner with you in the work you're doing in this world. Um, Lord, to bring the gospel to all people, to be a light to the world. I pray that you would lead us. God, and we pray that you'd raise up workers. I pray even now, Lord, even, even among those who are not here tonight, Um, Lord, that you would put a burning desire, Lord, on the hearts of your children to engage in ministry in the ways that you have called us, Lord. And I I believe that you're gonna answer this calling and raise up workers for your harvest field to engage in this specific way of the ministry of safe families, um, family preservation through biblical hospitality, bringing the gospel and, 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 and word and deed to families in need. Lord, I believe you're gonna do that. I pray that you would do that mightily, Lord, I pray that you would lead us out of compassion, out of, uh, Lord, an experience and an awareness of the love of Jesus Christ, not out of pressure or ambition, Lord, but responding to your love for us. God, we submit our church to you. God, we submit our lives to you. We ask you to lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys. So we are in week three here of, uh, of the series that we're calling good times. Everything is awesome. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong at all. Um, this is, I think it's the first sermon series at Awaken that's been a completely sarcastic title um, or maybe any other church for that matter. So I'm not sure what that says about us, but it does say something, I believe. Um, probably not good. Um, so um, I think if you've been with us these last few weeks, well, one, I would encourage you, if you've not listened to the messages the last two Sundays, uh, go ahead and subscribe to Awaken's podcast. Go back on YouTube, listen to the messages. We really believe this is a timely word from God. This is where God wants us to be right now. Uh, it's where he's leading us right now. And, uh, and, and we, we want, I really want everyone in the church to engage in this way and listen to th- these messages that we believe God has for us. So go back and listen to them. Take 45 minutes uh, and take that step and, and, and do so with an open heart. Also, you can, you can share and, and pass these along to anyone who you think may possibly be, be open to, to hearing this right now. So a, a couple things I think that we've learned the last few weeks, um, really two things that we should expect to see. If we take the Bible seriously, we should expect to see these two things in the lead up to Christ's return. Number one, we should expect to see increasing unrighteousness in the world. We should not expect to see 
the world just get better and better and better and better until we as the church get the job done and usher in the second coming of Christ through our own awesomeness. This is not the, um, this is not the expectation that Jesus had or that he calls us to have in terms of how things will be in the last times. We should expect increasing unrighteousness in culture and uh, I say this sorrowfully, but even in the church, we should expect to see increasing unrighteousness. We should expect to see uh, destructive false teaching by so-called Christians and so-called Christian churches. We should expect to see those things increasing in the last times. We should expect to see many people who once declared Jesus Christ as Lord walk away from him and reject Jesus as king, reject his bodily resurrection from the dead, reject his authority in their lives. And I think we are seeing those things in this time. I'm not saying they've not been um, pervasive in other times in human history. I believe they have as well. But we are seeing those things in this time. And there's something interesting about this time. Because I think for the very first time, there, there, there is the opportunity for people to be part of a true global culture. I've been listening to some guys recently who talk about global youth culture, shared experiences that people are having, whether they're in, in some ways in the, the, the worst of the slums in India or in a, you know, a wealthy neighborhood north of Columbus. There are shared experience, because people are living their lives online to such an extent, particularly young people, there are shared experiences there are shared values. Uh, people are listening to the same music, listening to the same voices, being led in, in many ways by the same teachers. And so for the very first time in the history of human civilization, there is the opportunity for there to be a global culture and in, within that global culture to uh, see and experience an increase in unrighteousness and self-destructive uh, patterns of thought and behavior. We've talked about uh, how we've seen this increase in unrighteousness in our, in our culture, in our geographic culture, through the decline of uh, kind of half-hearted nominal Christianity and the at least pseudo-Judeo-Christian values that come along with that, and the rise of moralistic therapeutic deism, a religion that says, basically, I am at the center. Uh, life is all about me. And I just need to love myself. Uh, we've talked about, so we've talked about self-love, the foundation of this new religion that we're living beside as followers of Christ in our culture. And the, the pillar of this religion that is self-love. And we see that in our, our key passage, 2 Timothy 3. We've talked about materialism, the increase in materialism. Uh, we've talked about the increase in boasting and how that's often seen as a virtue and not a vice. The second thing that uh, I hope you've seen that we should expect in the lead up to Christ's return, and this is much more positive, and that is that the gospel is going to make an impact and have a presence among every single ethnic group in the world. This is the expectation that Jesus lays out in the Olivet Discourse, in uh, Mark 13 and Matthew 24. This is the command that he gave to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. And while we're seeing this increase in unrighteousness, we're also seeing the gospel go to unreached groups into new places and gain new ground also in an unprecedented way. And we've got to praise the Lord for that. So both of these things are happening simultaneously. 
So I want to give that as a little backdrop before we kind of relook at our passage here in 2 Timothy 3. Would you go ahead and turn there with me if you can? 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. This is our guide, and, and we're going through it kind of step by step, really even word by word over the next few weeks here. Okay, so 2 Timothy 3, 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. And here's where we start tonight. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Tonight, we're going to talk in two sections. The first being these first four words, proud, abusive, disobedience uh, to, to parents, and ungrateful. And I hope that as we get into these, we can see that there's, I, I hope even before I say it, you can see the thread that's woven through these four things that ties them together. I believe there is one. And then our, our next section um, uh, on, on unholiness or holiness, it, it is uh, the, the precursor to these four things or to the four kingdom values to which God has called us. Okay, so I want to just define these four words briefly here. To be proud, to be proud is to exalt oneself. This is the opposite of submission to God. It is the opposite of worship. It is to have an unreal, unrealistically high view of our own importance and or our, our own abilities. And this is our, our most natural state if our theology is built on the foundation of self-love. It just flows right from that. If the unshakable pillar of our worldview is the worth and majesty of God, we will worship God. If that's the, if that's the pillar of our worldview. If the unshakable pillar of our worldview is the worth and majesty of self, we will view pride as a virtue rather than a vice. And we will boldly walk out in pride. We, we will be proud of our pride. Abuse, abusive. To be abusive in this context, it might not be quite what you think. Uh, it, it probably is not. Because we tend to use this word, the way we use this word in uh, our culture, in our time, is almost exclusively talking about those in positions of power abusing their authority. And that is a serious offense to God. This is an affront to God and a very serious thing, those in positions of power abusing their authority. And a, a good biblical word for that is oppression. Okay, God really does care about this, but it's not what's in view in this passage here. This, uh, this, this word translated abuse here, abusive here, speaking of something actually quite different, it's, it's moving in the really the opposite direction as far as activity. Uh, abusive behavior, it, 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 it is 
especially speech towards those in authority. Kind of the opposite of, of how we tend to use that word nowadays. Namely, the, namely God. Namely God. It's um, a word that is often translated blasphemy, but it can be translated uh, abuse or abusive as well. It's also used in 2 Peter 2.11 in the context of, of prideful, arrogant people heaping abuse on spiritual beings, uh, even evil spiritual beings. So the, 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 these beings are more powerful than the arrogant person that's heaping the abuse upon them. So this word is really getting at disrespect from a person who is in a weaker position or perceived to be in a weaker position towards authority, mainly used in the, the, the sense of speaking blasphemous words against the true, ultimate, real authority of God. Disobedient to parents. All right, this one's a little easier to get, I think. Uh, to be disobedient to one's parents, it's, it's a bit more intuitive. Uh, I think we generally know what this means, but it shouldn't here be taken to mean a three-year-old taking too much time to put their shoes on. Um, even though that is a very, very frustrating experience, I will say. Um, now, discipline is certainly necessary for young children. I mean, they do need that love expressed in that way. But the disobedience in this passage here, it, it is the kind of disobedience that runs deep. We see the seriousness of this disobedience expressed clearly through the law. Now, we're not under the Mosaic law. Um, we're not under its prescriptions. But the moral law underneath the prescriptions, it will never perish. It, 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 it is there for a reason. So uh, you've got to understand kind of where this passage is in the context of the whole narrative of God's plan for his people to understand it correctly. That's Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. It says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to, bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is a glutton and a drunkard. Then the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, you probably haven't heard too many sermons on this one. Um, we see in this passage, though, that disobedience means to reject the good discipline that comes from one's parents and to live outright a life of sin. The parable, the, 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 parable of the prodigal son is a great image of this as well in the way that the son disrespected and disowned his father and gave himself to a life of sin. At worst, disobedience to one's parents. It is openly disrespectful, throwing off of a relationship, the rejection of parental good, uh, parental good, wisdom, and guidance. Just it's outright rejection. Okay, and the last word here in this section, ungrateful. How are you guys getting nervous about the rain? Show of hands, who's nervous? Okay, that's a lot of like 
very lowly, nervously raised hands. Okay. Can I keep going? Uh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, am I, should I keep going? Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, I do have a little tree here, a little, little protection, although hopefully it doesn't uh, thunder and lightning here. I've heard that's bad uh, to be under a tree. Okay. So this last word here, ungrateful, this is to be one who gets without giving. One who receives without giving. We see this in Jesus' description of the ungrateful in Luke 6.35. The ungrateful receive freely with no intention of giving themselves or giving back. They feel that they simply deserve innumerable benefits by the very nature of their being. And this, this, this underlying belief makes, it makes gratitude for the many, many good things that God has blessed us with, the many graces that he's given to us. It makes gratitude extremely impractical. To be ungrateful is to receive as a right what is intended as a gift. And it is very, very important. Now, all four of these things, they have something in common. And that is the elevation of self. The elevation of self. For me to elevate myself over others, over God, over any authority, any authority, and particularly parental authority, is to follow the intoxicating spirit of the flesh and of the world. And on, on top of that, the fleshly, worldly person takes all of the ways that they've been served, that they've been blessed, particularly by their own parents, and diminishes those things. If I believe that everything I've ever received from my parents or for any person who's done good to me is simply that person fulfilling their, their duty, doing the bare minimum uh, to give me what I deserve, it is again going to make gratitude so impractical and it's gonna poison my heart and my mind and ruin my life in so many ways. For me, I do feel like, you know, there's not, there are not that many things of which I am an expert. Uh, I, I'm, I'm okay at a lot of things. I'm not that great at that many things. But I do feel like I am somewhat of an expert when it comes to pride, abuse, disobedience, and ingratitude. I have possessed these things and I have practiced these attributes in numerous ways throughout my life. Particularly in the time before I came to know Christ, before my life was radically changed there, but there have been many, many aftershocks. And if you know me well, you know this and, and you've, seen, uh, you've seen some of these things. Pride, I've had in abundance. God in his grace has confronted me. He's confronted me on this pride many times. I believe he's got me on a road to victory. And really, I think you guys know this, that pride is often a mask for insecurity. It's often a mask for insecurity. Abusing authority, uh, namely God. Now you should know that, that uh, for me, maybe I've shared this story before. I'm not sure if I have. As a 14-year-old, I stood during the evening rush, 5 p.m., at the intersection of High Street and 161. 
I stood there in my underwear, stopping traffic with my hands, shouting, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All this for just a horrific video that I made for, for a class. <laughs> Didn't go over all that well. <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> um, I, was, I was mocking God and Christians in this horrifying vid- video because in my mind, I was trying to display mental illness. And to me, mental illness went hand in hand with worship and the public proclamation of the gospel. Um, That just seemed like the best expression of severe mental illness to me. So I pretended to do those two things. Now, the irony of this is not lost on me, I will say. Um, But at the end of the day, I was a blasphemer. I'm completely dry here. I'm looking for direction still. All right, Chris and Brandon, you guys just were fully relying on you to give me a, a sign of what we're going to do. It's raining pretty good. Okay, you guys just decide. You can, yeah. No one's going to judge you if you're talking among, you know, between yourselves during the message here. Um, okay, so we'll keep moving here with, with the time we have. You are looking at someone who lived out disobedience to my parents in some incredible ways growing up, lying, disrespect, dishonoring. They were my natural language. I can barely remember how old I am right now. I've got about six birthdays memorized. I still have my parents' credit card number memorized that expired in 2001. This is the kind of person that I was in the kind of disobedience and disrespect and evil that was in my heart before Christ saved me. I was tremendously ungrateful. I remember as a 13-year-old, at the end of a history class, my history teacher slash football coach pulled me aside and he said, hey, Kimball, just so you know, you've done none of the assignments this entire semester. Um, You've put no effort in whatsoever and your actual grade is like a D minus. But I know your parents are gonna be really ticked off. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and give you a B. Um, and at the time I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, why aren't you giving me an A? I'm a pretty smart kid. That's really what I deserve. That's, that's what I thought. A short time later, similar experience, but the opposite in another class of mine, just, um, a stand up move. I literally did nothing the entire semester. And the very last day of class, I walk up to the teacher. Hey, do you have any extra credit for me? And uh, th- this, this teacher um, explains to me, hey, I could give you the opportunity to redo all these assignments, give you all this extra work. You could go home this weekend and pull two all-nighters, come back, and, uh, and I could give you a D for, for all that work. But that wouldn't be fair to the other kids. Uh, honestly, I disengaged about 10 seconds into her lecture because I thought I was really, I was asking for something that would take like 15 to 20 minutes. And I thought you'd give me an A. <laughs> If I did it, this is the kind of person that I was just incapable of gratitude and, oh my goodness, um, just uh, entitled, as, as entitled as I'll get. 
these qualities had me on a path of self-destruction. Nowadays, God has radically changed my life. And most people that I engage with think, I mean, you might disagree with this, but most people that I engage, engage with, I think, tend to think I'm a pretty nice, loving, kind guy. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit that God has, has given me. But when I hear something like, oh, you're such a nice guy, man, I wish more people were, were like you. Honestly, sometimes my response can uh, be quite shocking to people because <laughs> I, I try to not just accept that, um, but say something like, well, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, just for you to know, I'm a tremendously evil person. And without Christ, I would be binging on meth and prostitutes right now as we speak. And sometimes people are a, a, little, a little bit shaken by that. But the fact is it, is, it is true. I was following these qualities down a road of self-destruction. Would have alienated everyone and everything in my life. I was on this path towards letting the poisonous desires of the flesh and the corruption of the world kill me. And it's only by the grace of God that he pulled me out of this self-made pit. Here's the bottom line. I just share a little bit of my own testimony to share, I think, the bottom line that, that I hope we know and can embrace more fully in this season. And I've seen this play out in my own life. Self-exaltation is self-destruction. Self-exaltation is self-destruction. We are not made to be worshiped even by our own selves. Have you guys ever tried to watch TV with a ham sandwich? Like, I'm not talking about watching a show while eating a ham sandwich. I'm talking about looking at a ham sandwich and just trying to watch a show on it. I hope you've not. It is no more ridiculous for a created thing to call for worship than it is to watch TV with a ham sandwich. It does not follow the design. We are created beings created to worship the one who is worthy of worship. When we worship ourselves, when we give in to the self-love theology, when we're swept up in the poisonous desires of the world, it is self-destruction. Self-exaltation is self-destruction. Matthew 23, 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus Christ showed us how to do this. He showed us the way. And now we must just follow our hero and our king. In place of self-exaltation expressed through pride, blasphemy, dishonoring and disrespecting parents, and ingratitude. In place of those things, we must embrace the kingdom value of humility. We must humble ourselves. By God's grace, we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves before others. Mostly, we must humble ourselves before God. Many of the voices in our culture, many of the voices, they're seeking to, to tear down authority, in particular male authority. And it has been that, that way for quite some time. I'm not saying there's no lessons to be learned there. There's nothing to be listened to. There are things to be listened to. Outside of the gospel, though, I would argue that our, our greatest unmet need is loving, engaged fathers. 
but our cultural narrative, it is progressing. It's progressing against authority of all kinds. In particular, in particular fatherly authority, and also in even more particular, uh, the authority of God. I think there's so many reasons for this, but we must recognize it. We've got to see it. We cannot be naive. We must recognize it, reject it, and express humility. We've got to own humility. We've got to have humility. And we cannot have that. We cannot own that if we embrace the culture's view towards authority. Those two things are completely mutually exclusive. Think of the most prominent stories that are part of our children's cultural experience. Moana's dad was a fool. He was a fool acting in fear and ignorance. It was necessary for her to disobey her father, the ignorant fool, for the greater good. Elsa's dad, he denied her very humanity by demanding that she conceal, not feel. Her true authentic self, conceal, not feel, her true authentic self. Children's shows and movies, and I have watched many, many of them over the years, uh, over, the last, over the last seven years. Uh, they're, they're just filled with examples that, that seem innocent enough in isolation, I think, but they reveal a cultural narrative towards self and a rejection of authority, particularly parental authority, and particularly also the authority of God. We must, as disciples of Jesus Christ, ensure that the most prominent story in our children's experience is the gospel. Guys, this is, this is on us. God has given us this job and this privilege. If you are a parent, if you one day will be a parent, and then the stories that promote biblical values. The stories that come from God's word. Stories that come from us. The, the stories that come from us. These should be the stories that dominate our children's experience as they grow. Stories that come from heroes of the faith. I am absolutely not saying that we cannot or, or should not let our kids watch Frozen or whatever movie, but we cannot be naive. We cannot be naive. And here's, here's the, the kind of bottom line statement. We cannot let the world raise our children. We cannot let the world raise our children. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is no respecter of little children. He wants to destroy the lives of the next generation he wants to destroy the lives of our children. He wants to destroy our families. He wants to destroy our marriages. This is the progression of the world and we cannot be naive to it. Praise be to God that he turns the hearts of parents to their children. This, this is the work that the spirit does. <laughs> Can I ignore the like screams of the children after that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
I'm, I'm not making the call here. I'm just in this. God loves your family. He loves your parents. He loves your children. He wants to bring about deep and lasting love and unity in your family and in the greater family of the church into which he has adopted us as his children. The world is, is rapid, rapidly losing this as the common grace of Judeo-Christian family norms becomes more memory than reality. We have an opportunity here to exercise humility, grace, and respect in our families, to raise up children in this and to model to them by the way we love and honor our own parents. This is a tremendous light to the world. It's a tremendous light to the world. Know that if you feel alone in regard to, to your own nuclear family, maybe you don't have an expression of this there or you don't have an expression yet. Know that you are part of the family of God and you have the opportunity to practice so many of these things in that context, the context of the church, God's family and his people, your brothers and sisters. You have brothers and sisters. You have mothers and fathers in the faith, children in the faith. This is God's desire for us. But make no mistake, no matter what the world tries to convince us is good and normal and ought to be celebrated, they, they cannot ultimately tear people outside of the way that God has designed them. Every single child who's ever been born on this earth longs for a kind and loving and strong father and mother who love one another, who love them. Every single child. And it breaks our hearts that so many children do not experience this. This is part of the heartbeat behind how we feel God is leading us to engage in this time, in this season, through family preservation, biblical hospitality, the ministry, the incredible ministry of safe families. God believes in the family. He created the family. And we must celebrate it and embrace it. Humility in our families is not the end-all be-all of humility. It is so crucial, but it is not the beginning or the end. First and foremost, we must continually humble ourselves before God by his grace. James 4, scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Hear this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here is the promise at the end of the commands. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is his grace. <clears throat> He only commands us to go to those places to which he's designed us to go. Humility before him and before his throne is that beautiful place to which he has designed us to go. Okay, the final practice that we'll speak on tonight, it feeds the rest. 
one way or another, this practice or lack thereof feeds the rest that we've talked about tonight. Unholiness, unholiness. It's the next word in this chain in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And I think it would be helpful to describe holiness, to describe what, what that is first here. To be holy is to be set apart, to be different for the purposes of God. Under the old covenant, the most, the most holy place was set apart in a very, very serious way. It was not like any other place. No ordinary person could enter the most holy place. Only the high priest under very specific conditions at a very specific time could enter. Under the new covenant, we are under the new covenant. God calls his people to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes, to be the place where his spirit dwells, to be different from the world. The church must be holy. We must be holy. To be unholy is to walk in what's natural, to walk in the way of the wicked, to be just like the world. Now, today I think, and maybe some of you feel this, I know I do as a pastor, there's tremendous pressure for the church to be relevant, to be inclusive, to be engaging, to be a well-oiled machine, to be very well-led, to pursue excellence. The list goes on and on. And, and, and many of those things are good things. Don't get me wrong. But our relevance and our excellence mean absolutely nothing to God without our holiness. They mean nothing without our holiness. God does not care about our image. He doesn't care about our image. Otherwise, Chris Olds, two inches, two short pants, would have disqualified him from ministry many years ago. Um, Give that a second to soak in here. God cares so much about our holiness. I'd like to read two passages here to this end and let the word of God speak for itself. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And then 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. He makes no bones about his call for us to live and walk 
in holiness and the freedom that comes with being set apart for his purposes. We must wrestle with this concept of holiness. We must wrestle with it and come to own it personally. We've got to wrestle with it and own it and embrace our separateness. We've got to embrace our separateness. I think this is one thing God is leading us in this season. This is the kind of separateness that necessarily results in hatred from the world. But it leads us steadfast down the path of discipleship where love for enemies, radical obedience, humility, raising godly families are are just a handful of the values that we hold with a death grip, uncompromising in those things. God's plan for the church is not for us to live in step with the world and attend worship on Sundays. I think that means very little to him. It means very little to him. This is not the discipleship that he called us to. Now, I'm certainly not advocating for less than attending worship on Sundays. We've got to attend worship on Sundays and meet together and worship together and hear a teaching from God's word. But there is so much more that he calls us to. This just Sunday Christianity or even just part of the day or every once in a while Sunday Christianity was never his calling. Rather, he calls us to radical discipleship, radical love for one another, to adopt a set of kingdom values that are counter to the values of the world under any system, any version of the world, any culture, any political system. He calls us to a set of values that are, are counter to any of them. We must immerse ourselves in that life of radical discipleship through worship, worshiping God humbly, through fellowship with one another, through meditating on and studying and applying and obeying the word of God, letting it dwell richly among us and in us, through prayer, genuine, heartfelt, real, transformative prayer, through preaching the gospel to to all of creation, to those who God has put in our sphere of influence or any who, who he may bring about even for just a moment to our sphere of influence and through acts of service and good works in the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to embrace radical discipleship following Jesus in those various ways as a lifestyle, a pattern to how we think and live and relate to others. Right now though, there is tremendous competition for our attention And it's been this way for quite some time. But right now, guys, we cannot waste this opportunity that we have. The world is different right now than it was six months ago. It's a different place. Maybe, I think maybe for some, we were just inoculated slowly to the values of this world. Kind of, taken by surprise, little by little, as our world changed. But we've got to hear now, in this season, where there's been tremendous tension, there's been disunity, there's been a global pandemic that has forced us to stay in our homes. It has been much more difficult, in some some ways, to attend worship in a meaningful way. It's also been easier than ever in some ways. But tonight, man, this is an example. It's just, it's difficult. Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? It's just challenging. There are some obstacles 
to our, our home groups, to our worship, to our, our fellowship, all kinds of obstacles right now. Guys, church is not to be done online for very long. <laughs> That's just a temporary stopgap. It is by no means satisfactory or enough in any way, shape, or form. It's not the kind of discipleship, just receiving without giving in the context of a relationship. It is not what God has called us to. In this just time of uncertainty and difficulty, we cannot waste the opportunity. God has something for the church. He has something so special for the church. And it's not just for us. It is not just for our church. I think we can look back on the last 2,000 years and you can see so much evil, so much discord in the world. But you can also see great movements of God where God is moving in all kinds of different places and different people in very similar ways, bringing about his kingdom purposes. There's all kinds of expressions, ways that God has done this in the, the history of this age of the church. And I, I think we may be in one of those times right now. We just may be in one of those times right now. This morning, our leadership team, we had the opportunity to hear from Pastor Hollis Calhoun, New Wine Worship, and his kind of crew, his leadership crew. It was an unbelievably awesome time. I just want to encourage you guys with that. But as, as Hollis and some of his crew were, were sharing what God is leading them in, he's leading them to radical repentance right now in a, a new and profound way. He is leading them to the kind of unity that involves separateness and a, a real coming together, fighting for one another, deep, deep love for one another. And man, as they were sharing, I'm just thinking, this is exactly the way that we feel God is leading us right now. We didn't talk about this. We didn't discuss this. The spirit of God is leading his people to the same place. I think the church, if there was a letter right now, I, I think, I can't say this because I do not speak for God. We can, I can just share his word that he's given us. But I'm just telling you my, my, my opinion here. So take this for, for what it is. If there was a letter written to the church, at least in our culture right now, I believe that it would call us to radical repentance, humility, unity, and embracing our separateness. There have been so many attempts to be cool and to be relevant for Christ followers. And I'm, don't be weird for the sake of being weird. Okay? Don't, don't just, there's no reason for that. We can speak to people in a way that we are seasoned with salt. We exhibit grace. We know how to do relationships, all those things. But we've got to recognize being hip, being cool, being trendy, being inclusive. It's not going to do it. It hasn't done it and it never will. It never will. God calls his people to radical holiness expressed through repentance and humility and unity and deep, deep love for one another. God does not want us to leave this world. That's not at all, at all what I mean by embracing separateness. We are in the world and he has a reason for us to be here. That day and hour when we leave the world, when our heart stops beating, that is God's decision. That is his prerogative. We have very little say in that. We have no say in that, really. 
but he calls us to live holy as kingdom citizens, devoted to him and devoted to one another. So I'm gonna say this again. Let's embrace our separateness. Let's embrace it. Let's love that. There is beauty in that. Not by neglecting the world. Not at all by neglecting the world. Not by escapism and separatism that rejects the the needs of the suffering, even our enemies. But by embracing kingdom values and relationships. And most importantly, by embracing our King, Jesus Christ. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is faithful. He will hold fast to you no matter what comes in the coming months, the coming years, the coming decades. He will hold fast to you when the world hates you. When the world hates you, know that it hated him first. You are in good company with our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. And I pray also that every one of us, that we know that not only is he worth it, we live for an audience of one, but we walk and step with a brother or sister to our left and to our right. Not alone, but in unity as his church, devoted to the kingdom values of humility, submission to God, honoring our parents and our families, in deep, deep gratitude to God and holiness for our King, Jesus Christ. This is what he would have us to walk in. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the way you're leading the church right now, God. I pray that you would help us to walk in freedom, the freedom that comes from submission to you and holiness. And I pray that we would also walk in step with one another. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come that it would grow on earth. Lord, that seeds of the gospel would be being sown right now in a tumultuous world. Lord, um, use us, God, more than ever as we embrace separateness and holiness, living for our King. Lord, we just submit ourselves to you and we say we are yours. We are not our own. We are yours, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. Love you all. And praise Jesus for the lack of substantive rain. Amen.